Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to roco snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. designed to help you fall asleep. Find us on snoozecast.com and follow us on Instagram at snoozecast to find behind-the-scenes content. If you enjoy our show, please write a review on the podcast app. Please know that we read and appreciate every single one. Here's a recent review we loved. The subject line is, this is amazing. It goes, I listen to this podcast every night and they help me fall asleep. I also have a request. Can you please make multiple parts to Maggie's start day? I've listened to it like 32 times, and if the writer of the story didn't, maybe you can. If you see this, this podcast is amazing. Oh my, this review is amazing to us. Thank you to whomever wrote it. We hope you enjoy tonight's story, as Maggie has a cameo in it. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by full-sized candy bars. Tonight, for the last episode of our second annual October Classic Horror Series, we'll read a snoozecast original called Night Spell. It's Halloween night, and all the nocturnal animals of the forest will be attending a very important function. Where are they off to this evening? Besides a cameo from Maggie in this story, you may also notice poet Robert Frost for a spell. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. a few deep breaths. The sun 
fell asleep earlier each day now. Almost privately and without ceremony. Weeks before, when it was still late summer, the dusky orange disc continued to turn heads as it sunk below the horizon, sending its crimson-pink rays skyward. Nevertheless, the seasons changed. The heat burned off and succumbed to the insistence of autumn's familiar chill. Now the sun left each day like a party-goer who only knows the host. One second in the background, and in the next moment, they are gone. Poof. Vanished. It was a full moon. The second one this month. A blue moon, although the actual color was copper red. An impressive beacon. Huge, round, and rising behind the feathery, thin, noctilucent clouds, casting warm lights across the chilly, dark forest. Marcel was racing along the undergrowth, his paws crunching the litterfall. He liked hunting after dark just fine, It was his anatomical preference, after all. He could see well into the shadows. Twilight vision. The oncoming winter and the scarcity it promised livened his step. However, Marcel was about to call tonight's hunt to an early end as an upcoming engagement he attended each year was about to encroach on his ability to sniff out rodents. He caught a glimpse of himself in the reflection of the small pond he was skirting along. Magnificent, he thought. Marcel's thick, soft, and cider-red coat continued to keep him warm after the first frost his cylindrical tail barely bobbed as he ran along, its white tufted tip catching the eye of a wood frog who was also on the hunt, but for insects. Boxer, the wood frog, let out a mellow croak. Under different circumstances, Marcel might have chosen to pursue that warbled clacking sound and find the frog at the source of it. Although he preferred varmints to croakers like Boxer, he was by no means fussy. At that moment, something changed for Marcel. He slowed his pace to a trot then stopped completely. Each year it happens on the same day, 
in relatively the same way. And even though he got better at preparing for it, he never could get over the suddenness of the sea change. A warm feeling washed over his skin, and he made a happy little squeak. He needed to get to the rocky granite outcropping by the northeast edge of the forest, towards the base of the tall hills. Marcel broke into a full-blown sprint. Running is effortless on a chilly fall evening in the woods, if you're a fox. Streams of shadowed leaves in ochre, red, orange, and yellow rushed past his pale green eyes. The leaf litter emitted a sweetly decaying, earthy scent. Everything was silent as he ran, including him, his paws almost floating. He was expected. From her perch in the centuries-old oak, Agatha spotted a red fox practically flying across the forest floor. Curious, she thought, her talons tightening on the branch. This tree afforded a great view. It was the tallest tree in this part of the woods, with deep ridges and rough bark. Oaks, including this one, would keep their leaves, even as they browned, through the winter. But for now, it was cloaked in deep amethyst red. Although owls don't typically believe in personal ownership, Agatha liked to secretly think of this favorite tree as hers alone. Furrowing her brow, she determined that she recognized this particular fox. They had somewhat similar habits and haunts, though she had feathers and he had fur. For one, they were both opportunists. Last October, they had shared a parting glance while they were both vying for the same vole. The impromptu, two-pronged attack failed on both ends and afforded the vole an easy escape route. Drats, Agatha thought in the moment and looked down at Marcel, who also appeared miffed but paid no attention to her until she called down to him. Marcel peered up, but Agatha was practically a speck in the sky by then. Without cause, Agatha had determined that she liked Marcel, 
although he did appear to be a bit full of himself. Some just make that impression, I suppose. In her reverie, Agatha failed to notice that her best friend Yvette had softly alighted on the same branch as her. Hoo-hoo, Yvette said. What? Agatha asked, startled. Yvette cleared her throat. Excuse me, who was that? Yvette asked. Oh, him? I don't know. Just some fox. Oh, Yvette said. Agatha scrutinized her friend's face, whose features mirrored her own, except for Yvette's cinnamon-tinged stripes. Her soft feathers varied from brown to gray, with dark striping on the underside, the color of dust bunnies found under old bed frames. Listen, Agatha, I have a favor to ask. Agatha was intrigued. What is it? Yvette cleared her throat again. Well, I'm feeling a bit under the weather tonight, but I'm supposed to attend this party that happens every year. So don't go? Agatha offered. That's the thing. I have this uh, drive to go. I can't explain it. I'm thinking maybe if you go in my stead, it will stop that feeling, and I can just get some sleep tonight. She yawned. You want me to go to a party for you? Agatha had never been to a party before, as owls don't often receive invitations, and this prospect was very exciting to her. Yeah, would you mind? Agatha paused for just a moment. Of course. From their vantage, Marcel just vanished out of view. Yvette swiveled her head. Some autumn leaves fluttered in a ray of moonlight as she gazed at the otherwise motionless floor. Say, I wonder, if he's headed there too? Now that I think about it, he does look familiar, Yvette commented. Okay, she yawned again. I need to go get some beauty sleep. Yvette flew off silently and so fast that Agatha would have done a double take if she weren't likely to do the same at any moment. Agatha was still a bit in a daze when she finally realized to ask her retreating friend, Wait, Yvette, I don't know where the party is. You will. Yvette called back, barely audible. I will? Agatha thought, Oh, 
she said. She did. About 80 feet below Agatha, nestled in a large hole at the base of the oak, Winslow was woken up by the chatter of two hooting owls. He was planning on getting up around this time anyway, but Winslow preferred to do things on his own terms, and this jabbering was entirely unwelcome. His dexterous little paws rubbed his dark eyes, and he turned over to peer out of his nook and up towards the source of the noise. It appeared the owls had left. Great, Winslow thought. Owls didn't usually bother him, and he felt like he could hold his ground if push came to shove, but he preferred it all the same if they didn't know about his cozy cubby hole. Winslow scanned the sky and caught a glimpse of what he thought must have been one of the owls that had woken him up, making haste in the direction of the edge of the forest. For a moment, he was reminded of something. Isn't there something I'm supposed to do this evening? Winslow thought. He scampered out of his den and over the gnarled roots that protruded through the damp, dark earth at the base of the towering oak. Winslow sat back on his haunches and clasped his little paws together and rubbed them as if he were applying hand cream until he decided on his next move. It was an unconscious mannerism that ran in his family when they were deep in thought. Oh well, he determined he couldn't remember, and his mind turned to the Green family's delectable trash bins. This past spring, the Greens had just moved into the large white house with the pink dogwood near the edge of the forest. The couple who lived in the house previously were older, and their trash was scant at best. When the old couple was living there, it was generally a waste of time for Winslow to go poking around. There was positively absolutely no bits, bites, scraps, snacks, eats, vittles, or morsels of any kind in the trash. Practically clean, plastic and papers through and through. The day the older couple moved out, he heard them talking to Mr. Green about where they were headed as the movers had just finished 
loading the truck. Somewhere called Florida. Happy trails, Winslow had thought, hopeful at the prospect that the greens were a little more wasteful. They were. Two kids, two busy parents, a dog, and a cat. No one seemed to be keeping an eye on the food waste. Many delicious foodstuffs slipped through the cracks and into the unsecured trash bins. Last weekend, an entire platter of chicken somehow ended up in the bin. Winslow imagined a scenario where Mandy or Mabel or whatever the chocolate lab's name was who lived inside with the family had bumped into the table where the greens were just about to eat, sending the platter flying through the air and down onto the ground. His first clue was that it was covered in dog fur. The second was the dog had clearly eaten some before, ostensibly, the greens had cleaned up the mess. It was a real bonanza. Winslow was daydreaming about what might be in store for him tonight as he approached the clearing a small distance from the green's yard. Winslow paused a moment to scan the clearing. So far, there was no sight of anyone his mouth began watering. In that moment, Winslow noticed a wood frog who seemed suspiciously close to him. Boxer, the wood frog, let out a mellow croak. Before the greens moved in, Winslow might have chased that frog down but he had a practical buffet awaiting him. He just needed to sprint across the clearing to access it, just a couple hundred feet away. He ignored the frog and made haste for the blue bins along the side of the house. The low-lying, thick fog spread across the field like a down comforter. The fog scattered the moonlight across Winslow's path to the bins. His paws seemed to feel each drop on the dewy grass. It was then it struck him. Oh, he realized. It's tonight, isn't it? Something came over him, and despite the fact that his mouth was already watering, he made a 90-degree turn and headed over the small hill behind the green's yard 
and towards the rocky granite outcropping just on the other side. It's the same every year, Winslow pondered. He was able to overpower this feeling, this force, in the beginning of the night when he was solely focused on food. But every year, that feeling got the better of him. And eventually, no matter what he was doing, he began beelining it northeast to the rocky outcropping. Still thinking about food, he smiled a bit as he ran along. Roy saw the whole thing. He saw that pesky raccoon at the edge of the forest, just beyond the clearing, obviously thinking no one was watching him. He saw that little bandit sprint up, clearly about to make another mess of their bins. Why Mr. Green left them unsecured was beyond him, but Roy never said anything. Perhaps it was because Roy, like the house, was also a new addition to the family, and he wasn't interested in making waves just yet. Roy remembered the day the Greens came to get him where he was currently staying. It was an okay place, but there were a lot of other cats there. Roy noticed cats would come in and cats would go, but he continued to remain in his little condo. Roy considered this a somewhat inaccurate description of his crate, but the humans in the blue shirts with the name tags who seemed to live there were always using it. The humans in the blue shirts were always nice to him, but the visitors always repeated the same phrase when they saw him. Bad luck. That is, until the greens came. The younger child had become smitten, and the older child was aloof, so the decision was made and Roy couldn't have been happier. He was well-fed, enough leftover for raccoons, apparently. He was clean. His shiny black fur was a testament to that. And he was loved. In particular, he received many compliments on his deep green emerald eyes. Roy pressed his furry face against the glass. The raccoon was halfway to the bins. Here he comes. The window pane Roy had been looking out of had become slightly fogged up. He moved his head lower to get a better look. The raccoon made a hard left turn to head towards the other side of the hill, away from the garbage cans he had been approaching. Well, that's odd, 
Roy thought. Where was that raccoon going? Roy looked behind him into the living room as if the answer might appear there. But all was quiet. The Greens had left early that night in good spirits. They were all wearing these ridiculous outfits and Mr. Green had stuck a lit candle in the vegetable on the porch. None of it made any sense at all. Roy didn't appreciate not having an explanation to these abnormal human behaviors. The worst affront was that the youngest, probably as a show of domination, decided to wear a costume that was clearly meant to resemble Roy. Everything was there. The black ears, nose, she even painted on whiskers. Roy wasn't amused. When they called out goodbye to Roy and Maggie, the Green's chocolate lab, Roy ignored them, while Maggie accepted the admiration the family was known to dole out. After they left, Roy took up his perch, waiting to witness the nightly pilfering of the bins. Shortly after, Maggie walked by on her way up to the bedroom and looked over at Roy. Maggie paused. To Roy, it looked like she was about to say something very important, but she just sneezed and trotted off to bed. At this point, the raccoon was almost out of sight over the small hill behind the green's backyard. In that moment, Roy felt compelled to follow him. More so, it felt outside of his own desires, almost like a command. Now, he could have certainly ignored that feeling more than most. Ignoring commands was actually a bit of a pastime for him. Could he do something? Sure. Would he? No. This was different, though. He could have ignored it, but he didn't want to. He decided to follow the raccoon into the night. Before he left, he paused at the foot of the stairs and listened for Maggie. Maggie was snoring rather loudly. Now was the time to go. He bolted through the doggy door on the back porch and didn't look back. His tail wisping back and forth. High up in the hills, at the edge of the forest, and just above the granite, rocky outcropping. Verna had been watching 
a compelling sequence of events unfold in the clearing below over the past half hour. The outcropping was well sheltered, protected on the north and west by the base of the hills, and the east and the south had these giant moss rock boulders shielding the small enclave from the eyes of onlookers in the clearing, but not from high in the hills where Verna was. The enclave was intimate, maybe twenty feet by twenty. In the center was a small fire burning. It looked like some kind of large black pot was on the center of the fire, but it was difficult to tell. It appeared that three figures, dressed in black, were sitting in the shadows of the enclave, waiting for something. The hypothesis seemed to be true, since shortly after Verna took up her post, she noticed a red fox emerging from the forest. The fox positioned himself outside of the enclave, but close by. Soon after, a barred owl flew in from the south and alighted on a small maple tree also just outside of the enclave, equidistant from the center and the fox. In the clearing, a raccoon was racing towards this gathering, and a black cat was hot on the creature's trails. Both of them also took positions just outside the glow of the fire. After they arrived, they continued to wait for a short time. It was then Verna realized she was meant to take her position outside of the circle as well. She began making her way down. Her large triangular ears were on high alert. She was listening extra carefully for what she wasn't sure yet. She was difficult to spot, her grayish-brown fur matching the rocks and dirt behind her. It didn't take long to reach them. Verna was fast, her bushy tail staying down the whole time. She was able to discern her spot easily. She took it. After the coyote had arrived, 
the figures moved out of the shadows. Although they initially appeared somber in their black robes, once the light of the fire struck their faces, it was obvious they were kindly from their countenances and movements. Each one of them had a warm smile that emanated wisdom and humility. They stood around the black pot in the center of the fire. They began to recite some words, and although listening carefully, none of the creatures could make out the specifics. After each phrase, one of the figures would toss something into the pot from their robes. Each time something was thrown into the pot, the light emanating around the fire changed. One toss, and the area was bathed in a purple glow for moments. The next toss gave a bit of flashing orange. Then another figure stepped forward, sprinkled something into the kettle, and a blue vapor rose up. Next came what seemed to be crushed herbs that released a fragrant smoke. On it went. A lovely feeling became palpable to all in close proximity. Finally, each animal clearly heard the three recite. Oh, hushed October midnight mild, thy leaves have ripened to the fall. Tomorrow's wind, if it be wild, should carry them all. O oh, hushed October midnight mild, begin the hours of next day slow. Make the day seem to us less brief, hearts not averse to being beguiled. Beguile us in the way you know. Release one leaf at break of day. At noon, release another leaf. One from our trees, one far away. Slow the sun with gentle mist. Enchant the land with amethyst. Slow, slow. For the grape's sake, if they were all, whose leaves already burnt with frost, whose clustered fruit 
must else be lost. For the grape's sake, along the wall. Oh, hushed October, midnight mild. Thy leaves have ripened to the fall. From the night and from the wild, the creatures of the forest call Fox and Marcel yipped, Owl and Agatha hooted, Raccoon and Winslow chittered. Cat and Roy meowed, Coyote and Verna howled, Toad and then Boxer, who was actually a wood frog, let out a mellow croak.